0: Over the last few weeks, we got a lot of Supreme Court rulings. Of course, they are all very important, but some grab the headlines more than others. On the last day of this most recent term, all the attention was focused on those rulings surrounding President Trump's taxes and financial records. But there was also a very interesting decision we learned about on that last day, and it was a ruling that provided a big victory for Native American rights. It was a case out of Oklahoma, and we wanted to learn more about it, kind of what the decision Means and what it could mean going forward. So we reached out to Ann Giuliano, professor of law at Villanova Charles Widger School of Law. One of the more fascinating conversations I've had since I've started doing these podcasts. Give a listen. Before we dig into the case, I just want to give people not so much an introduction, but Indian law is something that's kind of right in your wheelhouse, given your your background and uh, what we're about to talk about here. No?
1: It is. Uh, prior to coming to Villanova to teach at the law school. I was a attorney with the United States Department of Justice, which uh, people may not know, the United States acts as a trustee for the federally recognized Indian tribes in this country, of which there are several hundred. And as trustee, the U.S. would bring cases on behalf of tribes to uh, protect their jurisdiction, protect their sovereignty. Most of the cases, a lot of them are making sure the state isn't encroaching uh, on the tribe's rights. So I was an attorney who helped carry out those policies on behalf of tribes, had water right cases, tax cases, some environmental statute cases, one involving the Mashantucket Pequots in Connecticut. Um, That's probably a tribe people are familiar with.
0: So let's Dig into this. Give us the background. McGirt versus Oklahoma. What what is it all about? What was it all about?
1: So in McGirt versus Oklahoma, it's a criminal case, um, and the defendant was uh, prosecuted by the state. And the defendant is an enrolled member of the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, so he's a tribal member, and he committed a crime on serious, serious sexual offenses that took place on the Creek Nation. So he argued that the state didn't have jurisdiction to convict him of these criminal offenses because it was what's known as Indian country, which means it's the Indian reservation, which means the state doesn't have criminal jurisdiction. So that was his argument, that his conviction should get thrown out because this took place on an Indian reservation, which means because of the crime he was uh, charged with, that the federal government would have jurisdiction because of a statute known as the Major Crimes Act. So that was the that was the issue the criminal defendant trying to get his conviction thrown out is basically the issue. Uh, And it all turned on whether or not the Creek Nation land was still a reservation. That was the issue in the case.
0: And the court ruled 5-4 that it was, correct?
1: Yes, they did. Um, I have a theory that if the court in the first paragraph of the opinion references the Trail of Tears then the tribe has won or tribal sovereignty has won. And if the word unfortunately shows up in the first paragraph, then the tribe or tribal sovereignty has lost. So I, I looked at this opinion and the Trail of Tears is mentioned in the first sentence of this opinion. So then you know tribal sovereignty is gonna win. So the court ruled 5-4 that this land is still a reservation that the Creek Nation and their reservation that hasn't been changed, the reservation status hasn't been changed and therefore the state doesn't have criminal jurisdiction. It's on some level an incredibly easy case. In a treaty, you know, hundreds of years ago, the US agreed that this was a, a reservation. This was the Creek Nation's reservation and they never explicitly passed a statute that it was no longer a reservation. And that's what Justice Gorsuch said. Congress has the power to say it's no longer a reservation, but they haven't explicitly said so, therefore it's a reservation. That's really the the reasoning in the case.
0: So for practical purposes, What does this mean? I actually was having a conversation with somebody about this case, and they're like, so is Oklahoma only half as big now? Like, what does this mean? (laughs) Kind of break it down for us. Uh, Where does this go?
1: So this decision is about jurisdiction. It's not about land ownership. It doesn't change any, because, you know, the doomsday things you see is, oh, the entire city of Tulsa, you know, is now belongs to the creek, which is not truly what happened. So this doesn't change anyone's land ownership. Whoever has title to land still has title to land. What it does is it changes very specifically for this case, they're talking about criminal jurisdiction. So if you think about, we're really talking about who is the sovereign government that gets to decide things. So the Creek Nation has always been a unit that the reservation has always been within the boundaries of the state of Oklahoma. So it's not like Oklahoma is suddenly no longer Oklahoma, the great state of Oklahoma, where I lived for a year in Tulsa, everyone still owns whatever land they own. The question is whether on this particular land, the tribe now has jurisdiction to do certain things that the state was arguing they didn't have before. So, the tribe now has certain criminal jurisdiction, and the state does not and the federal government has federal criminal jurisdiction, and the state does not. Historically, the people fighting are tribes and states. They're fighting over they're fighting over who gets to do what. But um, there was a statement from, I think it was the Attorney General of Oklahoma, tribes and states and and cities and the federal government will all enter into agreements and they'll cross deputize everybody's law enforcement officers so that they can get the necessary work done uh, on reservations. So I don't think it's going to be suddenly lawlessness, you know, on the Creek reservation, uh, that whole big body of land that's now officially the reservation. And I wanna say officially because the Creek Nation has never said, oh, we agree this isn't a reservation. They've been saying all along that this is their land and they have sovereignty on it. So um, it's not that Oklahoma suddenly half the size uh, and it's not that Joe Smith living on Yale Avenue in Tulsa suddenly doesn't own their house. Um, None of that's happening. It's about the Creek Nation's uh, jurisdiction and their sovereignty.
0: So we mentioned Neil Gorsuch wrote the opinion, was the the fifth vote to swing it this way. Not the first time Neil Gorsuch has ruled in favor of tribal rights. What is it about Gorsuch's background, the way he interprets the law, that he has really, and I don't want to say a champion because I don't want to say like he has an agenda, but he has ruled in favor of Indians. Several times now in several big cases, what is it about his background and the way he interprets that you think leads him in this direction?
1: in one way, you can look at it just purely from um, I guess we'd say sort of a conservative justice position he's saying the government made a promise and we're holding them to the promise that's what he's saying and he makes that very clear in the decision and if the if Congress wants this not to be a reservation, they have to explicitly say it's not a reservation and they haven't said it. So it's a very, I'm looking at the text, they haven't said this, therefore I only apply the text. We don't go looking behind or other events. So in one way, that part of his background helps explain the opinion. However, he is from the West and he is perhaps more than some other justices very well aware of the jurisdictional issues. Um, And he has held the government to what they've said in the past. So it's a little bit sad that this seems like an incredibly startling opinion when really what he's saying is we're holding the government to its word. The government said this is a reservation it's a reservation and that's like the incredibly startling, you know, amazing Indian law opinion of the year or the decade. It's important to note that he did say, Congress can, it's called disestablish. Congress can disestablish the reservation. It has the power to do so under Supreme Court precedent, but it has to do so explicitly. And Corsic finds that they did not do so explicitly. Tribes would disagree with that Supreme Court precedent. They would say the only way you can get rid of the reservation is what under the terms of the treaty, that you have to follow whatever the treaty says. But the Supreme Court said that Congress has the power to say that reservation is no longer a reservation. And Gorsuch said, but they haven't done that. So he's he's both aware of the jurisdictional issues for Indian nations and because of his conservative, I'm only looking at the text. I'm only reading the words of the statute, put those two things together. And we have this very, very strong opinion for Indian sovereignty.
0: Taking that into consideration and given now that we've got kind of a body of work of what way he has voted on these Indian rights cases over his, a uh, couple of years on the court. Do you think we could see groups now try to position themselves to get cases to the Supreme Court? Because maybe before they knew that it was a dead end, but now all of a sudden there seems to be a window where the way he interprets could be very favorable and we could see some interesting things start to develop?
1: I think we could. So it's important to realize again that this case is about a treaty and interpreting a treaty. So if there are tribes who have treaties and there's no clear, explicit revocation of those treaty rights, then we could see tribes, I don't want to say reasserting because they've been trying and advocating all along, but, you know, trying to stop the state or the local governments or whoever's interfering with their treaty rights. And so the treaty right could be something like this case, like this is our reservation. So we have certain powers on this reservation. Um, but a lot of tribes out West, the treaty rights are things like hunting and fishing. Um, that the the treaty creating the reservation also gave them the right to hunt and fish so that the state can't come in and say, you have to have our license or you're not allowed to do that or et cetera. So, Just so everyone's aware, it could be about this is our reservation. We have jurisdiction or it could be about other things as well, depending on the treaty. So I am sure every uh, attorney general for every tribe, um, every tribal council government is sitting down and looking over their treaty and and looking at what Congress has done to see what rights under this decision they could argue are still valid
0: and i'd like to just go to kind of close off the circle go back to the beginning the mcgurt in McGirt versus oklahoma what where does his case now go because as you mentioned it's a it's a criminal case a pretty nasty criminal case what happens to that now
1: now he can be prosecuted by the federal government and i i i believe i read somewhere that that is what will happen the feds will come in and and prosecute him for the same crimes because they now have the jurisdiction to do so. So don't nobody worry about whether he's off the hook. Yeah.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon and we'll have another episode out soon.